Hi everyone, I'm Tara Mont, and you're listening to the Trust and Thrive with Tara Mont podcast. I created this podcast along with my blog and brand to hopefully inspire others to live their most authentic life. I truly believe that we all have the power to live a life we love, and to do so, it's so important to be in tune with ourselves and be open to growing and evolving. I believe that once we can trust ourselves and our vision, that's when we can thrive. So with this podcast, I plan to discuss all things to do with self-reflection, personal growth, mindsets, and self-belief, all aspects that affect us in our everyday life. If you feel connected to my message and want to listen more often, I will be sharing one podcast a week, so make sure to subscribe and stay tuned. Welcome back to this week's episode. I hope you've been having a wonderful start to your January. It feels like this year is going by so fast. I've just been figuring out some stuff that's going on in the new year, and it feels like there's just so much happening at once, but I'm very excited and hopeful and hope you've been enjoying the show. So reflecting back on last week's episode, I hope you enjoyed that one with Sarah Knight, all about setting boundaries, saying no. It was a really really great episode that I really do believe a lot of people could relate to with that topic. And so this week on this week's episode, we have Mandy Saligari. Mandy is a therapist, author, broadcaster, and co-founder of Charter Harley Street. Mandy came into addiction recovery in 1990, opening her own therapy practice in 1998 and co-founding Charter in 2008 using her pioneering model of care outlined in her book, Proactive Parenting. The book, Proactive Parenting, was a bestseller in its category, published by Orion Spring and is also available on Amazon. Mandy's enthusiasm for early intervention and prevention is infectious, leading her to extend her therapeutic work into family relationships, addressing issues relating to communication and poor self-esteem before they gather dangerous momentum. Her TEDx talk, Emotions, Handle Them or They Will Handle You, has over 1 million views on YouTube, and she's also been a regular contributor to television and press, including her flagship program for Channel 5, In Therapy. Mandy is passionate about dispelling the myths surrounding addiction and mental health through education, honest discussion, and emotional awareness, and she is also a compelling public speaker. Being a single working mother of three teenagers, Mandy's work clearly has a real-life application. So in this episode, we talk a lot about her book, Proactive Parenting, and the topics that she discusses in that. We discuss addiction, what she's been through, what she's learned, the whole idea of reparenting and proactive parenting for yourself, proactive parenting to yourself and to your own inner child. Maybe you did not receive the parenting you had hoped for or, you know, no parent is perfect. Even if we had a wonderful childhood, no parent is perfect. It's important that we really reflect on certain things we need to hear and how we can reparent ourselves. And so I hope you enjoy this episode. It's a little more on the shorter side. I had about 30 minutes with Mandy, so this one's a little more on the shorter side. It's still really insightful. There's still a lot of valuable information and a lot to take away. But just to let you know, and if you were wondering why this isn't like an hour long, sometimes the episodes vary. Like I've said before, it obviously depends on how much time the guest has to speak with me. And Mandy was so kind enough to chat with me amidst her really busy schedule. So even with the 25 to 30 minutes, we got a great conversation in and I can't wait to share with you all. So I hope you enjoy. Let's get right into it. Even though I'm rambling on, I hope you enjoy this interview with Mandy.
Hi, Mandy. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Of course. Can you start off telling us a little more about yourself and what it is that you do? Yes. So I work as a uh, as a therapist uh, in mental health. I am uh, in London. I work in Harley Street. And I started by working with addiction, really. But then I began to understand addiction in a much broader sense. And I've expanded into working into early intervention. I work with couples, families, individuals. And uh, probably the most work I do is with families and with groups. Amazing. And so can you tell us a little more about your book, Proactive Parenting, and what inspired you to write it? Well, as a result of the work that I do, and some of the work I do, I go into schools and uh, talk about, uh, it's part of the intervention and prevention work, is to go into schools and talk about everything that happens and what you have to do when you run into difficulty. So I started to develop a model of care that I could teach to students, teachers, and their parents in order to look out for problems nice and early on and take evasive action, if you like. Do the right thing at that moment to avoid uh, running into real difficulty later. And as a result, lots of people asked me uh, if I'd written a book. And uh, eventually, I settled down and thought, right, I really need to get this model down on the page because otherwise I spend so much time explaining this part of the work that when somebody comes to see me, it takes a couple of sessions to get into their own story because I'm describing the framework. So it's a shortcut really for me so that when people come and see me, we can hit the ground running. And what have you noticed with your work? Have you noticed that addiction lies with deeper issues and how can one start to explore those wounds if it's if they've never done so before? Well, the thing about addiction is people automatically say, what were you addicted to? Which is the wrong question, actually. The right question is, what happened in your life that was so painful, actually? What happened in your life that you would employ something outside of yourself to do the emotional job for you instead of dealing with it yourself? Because addiction is using something in an attempt to fix how you feel to the detriment of yourself. So it's not about the drugs or the alcohol or the gambling or anything like that. Addiction is the desire to self-medicate because you don't trust your own ability to to mend yourself or to cope. So um, when I think about addiction and what we're looking for, you're looking for somebody's inability or perception that they can't cope with how they feel or what's going on for themselves. So they end up delegating that emotional process onto something else. In other words, somebody might think they're funnier if they drink, or they might think that they can't stand sitting around doing nothing because it makes them feel anxious. So they end up tidying the house all the time or having to make things absolutely perfect. Or maybe somebody feels really low. So what they do is they overeat and then make themselves sick. The Things that you do, you have to get into abeyance. Obviously, you can't eat and make yourself sick. But the real work is to attend to the fear of being bored, to attend to how you might feel about yourself that means you can't cope with feeling sad or don't know how to be angry. These are the real um, focuses or should be the real focus of any successful therapeutic intervention on addiction. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad you brought that image of the broad range of what addiction can look like. And so for someone who may not even 
know that they're addicted to something because it isn't always alcohol or drugs. You know, it could be your phone, like you said, it could be food. How can one start to notice that it is an addiction? Well, I think that uh, addiction and dependence are very close. So when you feel compelled to do something, even though you know it's not good for you, so you'll start negotiating with yourself. So you might be on your phone or something and think, I know I need to put turn it off or put it down to go to bed or to go and do something else. And then in your head, you start negotiating. I'll do it in 10 minutes so I can do this other thing tomorrow. It doesn't matter. And you start reorganizing your commitments and uh, your life in order to fit in with the kind of compulsive activity. What's likely to be going on there is that there's another feeling kicking around underneath that means that you're neglecting yourself or neglecting that need. So the first thing to do is to address whatever that compulsion is, whether that's drinking, taking drugs, gambling, overeating, using your phone, over-exercising, all of those kinds of things. And I think there are 15 of those, by the way. Um, and to put a boundary around it and absolutely stick to what you have decided you are or aren't going to do at whatever time. And then notice the kinds of feelings that come up as a result of making yourself abstinent. So for example, if you say to yourself, I'm going to go out next weekend and I'm not going to drink. And then somebody says, oh, come on, it's going to be a really good party. Come out, drink, do your non-drinking thing the next weekend. Oh, come on, it's so much fun when we go out and just have a couple. You don't have to drink that much. Come on. And you get all of that negotiating going on. You need to be stopping and thinking, no, I said I wasn't going to drink. I'm not going to drink. And now I need to deal with the feelings that come up, the feelings of not being good enough, the feelings that I'll be boring or I'll feel vulnerable, or I'll feel self-conscious if I don't drink, or that my friend wants me to drink, so I'll be left out if I don't. And try and consider how powerful, actually, those thoughts are that might then determine whether you drink or not. And if you struggle to cope with those feelings, try and go and see someone to work it through, because the likelihood is they have their origins in early childhood experience. Mm -hmm. And so I know you talk a lot about early childhood experience and I, I really loved your TED talk. That's how I found you and it really stuck with me because I think we all can relate to that. And so what are your thoughts on the roles that we played growing up and who we were in the eyes of our parents or our guardians? How does that affect how we grow up and the thoughts we have about ourselves? Well, I think what happens is that, well, I know what happens, is that the, the family, the, the childhood that we grow up in is a bit like the greenhouse that we're in. So everything that happens to us and around us, everything that we see and experience shapes us. So it's not blaming a parent or a sibling for who we are. It's trying to be curious about the ingredients that were present that went up, went into making us the way that we are. And the likelihood is that we will look at same gender parent or older sibling as a kind of example of what it is to be a man or a woman. And we look at opposite gender for um, what we experience as how the world will receive us. It's quite a complicated uh, framework to explain in a nutshell. But the point of it is that as we grow up, we look around us for examples of who and how to be. We see a parent being angry, we feel frightened or embarrassed. And inside we might say to ourselves, I don't wanna be anything like that parent, so I'm not gonna be angry. So as a result, we repress anger, 
which then comes out sideways in the form of controlling behavior or anxiety or depression, when actually what it is, is a warped and fear-based experience of anger that needs addressing. So I ask people to simply be detectives around their own childhoods, really try to think of adjectives to describe parents, atmosphere at home, the sorts of things that you saw and felt so that you can start to gather the evidence to explain to you why you react in certain ways around certain influences in adulthood. Because once you're aware of those influences, then you can go about changing them if you wish. Mm -hmm. And would you consider that to be reparenting? And do you think a tool is to speak with your inner child? Absolutely. I do think it's about reparenting. So the book that I wrote, which is Proactive Parenting, isn't just for parents of children. It's for yourself as a parent of your own inner little person. However old that person is, by the way, they can be an inner teenager stomping around causing a right load of trouble. But you need to be able to parent that part of yourself so that you listen and you contain and you take responsibility for your subsequent behavior. So yes, I think reparenting yourself almost squares the circle of the effective relationship with yourself, because ultimately we're all responsible for ourselves and we are the common denominators in everything that happens in our lives. There's no getting away from it. Mm -hmm. And so what are some examples of reparenting for someone who doesn't necessarily know what that is? Would you say it's positive self-talk or what are some ways someone can do that? I think positive self-talk is really difficult. And I think what it can do is create a surface expectation that you're supposed to feel better when actually you don't. I'm a believer in uh, action, actually putting action into your life. So um, maybe look at your day the day before look at tomorrow and if you have somebody in your life that you can trust to be objective and supportive even better because sometimes left to our own devices we really don't serve ourselves well but I think um, I would look at drawing up a day for myself and then I try to follow exactly what's in my plan so I will look ahead at my day and put things in and not put things in and I will do just what I prescribe for myself which includes getting up at a certain time having time to eat making sure that um, I'm sort of washed and dressed and so on and also that I've had time to gather myself either through a moment of self-reflection or meditation, so that when I step out of my front door and into the world, I've gathered myself, I'm, I'm in my skin. And then to eat three times a day, to laugh during the day, to achieve something in your day, to say yes and no appropriately to whatever turns up in your day, so that you don't oversubscribe yourself through people-pleasing, but also so that you say yes to opportunities so you don't isolate. And I think good self-care is about, and, and therefore um, parenting yourself, is about exactly that. It's about making sure I sleep enough, eat enough, rest enough, play enough, and am um, productive enough for each day that I, that I have. Mm -hmm. And would you say... That's what inspired you to write proactive parenting. Like, how would you define proactive parenting for someone who doesn't know what that is? Proactive parenting is recognizing that in our own lives and in the lives of our children, 
we have influence. There's no denying it, we have influence. And proactive parenting is saying that I want to accept that I have influence and I want to be as mindful and as conscious as possible around what that influence is. It's not that it always has to be great, but it is that I have to be honest about what that is and where I am in that relationship, either with myself and my own expectations of myself and how hard I am on myself or whatever that might be, or with my own children and my expectations that I think they should be or are capable of so much more than, uh, than they're able to deliver on a daily basis. I need to recognize that that's my stuff a great clinical term. <laughs> Proactive parenting says take responsibility for that and become aware of who and what you are and what those influences are so that you can be in relationship with yourself or your child um, without denial. And I think that's so important. I think a lot of people repeat generational patterns and they project their childhood wounds onto their children or they don't even realize they're doing so. And so would you agree that it is so important to reflect on these wounds and these limiting beliefs we grew up with so that we don't pass these down? Um, I think more than that, I don't, as a therapist, I always think that um, people often say things like, gosh, the world is full of misery and therefore I've got lots of clients as a therapist. Or you go into a therapist to talk about wounds and self-limiting beliefs and all the negatives. I actually think that people turn up for therapy out of hope, not despair. They turn up because, and when I came into therapy, I certainly turned up because I felt that I was worth more than the way I was living my life. And I felt that somebody out there must be able to help me. And that is an act of self-worth and it's an act of hope. So I think that self-reflection isn't just on the, the wounds and the self-limiting beliefs and those things. I think self-reflection is about all of who I am, being really curious about the interplay between the positive, the negative, the passive um, and the assertive, to really have a look at what the ingredients are that make you up, to be the complex being that you are in the lives of, for example, your children, so that you can make sense of yourself and then your messages will be clearer, they'll be congruent, your children will know you and therefore they will be able to work out what is them and what is you. And that, I think, is the gift we give. Yes, we can attempt to heal our childhood wounds and the kind of negative messages that we pick up. And I say attempt because sometimes you can't heal all of it, but I think you can forgive yourself for having those wounds, if you like, and for not being perfect. Um, but I think you must also bank the good stuff. You must also acknowledge the good stuff that you bring with you and not just make your attentional bias in self-reflection or in therapy to be about the negative. Definitely. And with that said, what would you say to someone who maybe feels shame around feeling this way or maybe being addicted to something? Like, what would you tell them if they feel embarrassed? Oh, gosh, everybody. Um, I think everybody feels embarrassed about uh, their vulnerabilities and their flaws, um, certainly to start with. But I think the simple fact is, if you reflect on the people you feel closest to, they're probably the people who know those flaws. And I think that we connect through our 
troubles we connect through our vulnerabilities that's where some of the most profound intimacy and connection um, evolves out of so why would we defend against it I think if we're embarrassed by our by our mistakes and and our you know flaws and and the problems that we have then there's some kind of internal message that says we shouldn't have them whereas most of the time somebody's negative presenting symptom if you like has got a very clear trail back to an originating stimulus so it makes perfect sense that somebody would be that way and to deny that is to deny the evidence that might allow you to get better people coming in is very exciting i i absolutely love it when somebody has the courage to open their mouth and say do you know what i'm struggling with this i have a great affection for that process and so for someone who didn't grow up in an environment where they were encouraged to work through their feelings and express their emotions and they don't even know where to start what advice would you give to them okay i think a couple of things um One is, I think, get yourself a little book that you can pop in your pocket and carry with you throughout the day and start jotting down the kinds of emotions that you have through the day. Play detective with yourself. Make yourself your own best project. And that's not to encourage utter self-centeredness and navel-gazing just for the sake of it. It's to say that if you really get interested in you and learn how to take care of you, then you will be able to afford to be generous. The ultimate point is to connect and be other-centered as part of this process. So I think get a notebook, jot down your feelings, just the odd emotion as it happens to you during the day. Start to notice the behaviors that follow. And if you struggle with addictions, whether they are you know, your classic drug alcohol addictions, whether they're sex and love addictions so that you really struggle in relationship, whether you're a compulsive caretaker or a compulsive eater or a compulsive exercise or a compulsive worker or gambler, all of those patterns have got anonymous fellowship meetings where people can go along and just listen to other people's processes and hear a pathway into recovery, which requires you to make a commitment to be abstinent so that you can start to work on your emotional process. So what I'd encourage anyone to do who struggles with an addictive process, I encourage people to go to the fellowships. There's a fellowship for many, many um, different addictive patterns. And in the States, you are prolific with your fellowship and anonymous fellowship meetings, which I'm a huge fan of because they are free. They are not judgmental and you can just turn up and you can listen and What they require you to do is to be abstinent from your acting out behavior so that you can access a huge amount of support and fellowship in those rooms to help you to start working through your feelings. Other than that, and and your and your history, if you like, of difficulties with other people who are doing the same thing. Another way of doing it is jotting down your feelings throughout the day, starting to notice your subsequent behaviors. So if you realize that you feel a bit unhappy and resentful, notice that then you start thinking about drinking or overeating or isolating. Recognize the link between feelings and behaviors and proactively start to write down things you feel grateful for. Not just the big things like health and family and friends, but 
things like, I don't know, clean sheets or the colour of your socks or the, you know, the bright blue sky. Start to notice the little things and write them down because recovery is an attitude of gratitude and we have to work hard to achieve that. I'm an addict in recovery and I know how hard it is to pull yourself out of a negative spiral and pattern of behavior and to carve out a different way of living for yourself. But I can promise you it's possible. And the greatest affirmation that I like and I suggest to people I work with isn't necessarily imposing upon yourself, I don't know, looking for something good about yourself to say to yourself. All you need to say as you brush your teeth and look in the mirror as you're brushing your teeth is to say to yourself, I'm looking forward to spending the day with you today and seeing what comes up. You in? You on with me? And at the end of the day, when you're brushing your teeth, say, I hope that went well, or I enjoyed my day, or, you know, thanks for today, or gosh, weren't we brave when we said to that person how we felt when they asked us. Start to build up a relationship with yourself. Because once you have a loving relationship with yourself, you will never feel the depth of loneliness that you will feel when you don't. I love that. And so I want to ask you, this whole show is about living your most authentic life. And I love asking guests this question because everyone has such a different answer. So what does living your most authentic life mean to you? Living my most authentic life, it means that my commitment is to represent myself with dignity and respect so that the very least I can give is for you to know who I am and where I am in my life with you. Um, I don't play games. I won't lie. And I try really hard not to uh, manipulate outcomes so that the simplicity of just how it is and the company of just being with you it's stopping manipulating anything and just living with the simplicity of what actually is, which means that you can just relax into the company of another person and feel that connection without any expectation, past or future. And I find that peaceful and I'm very grateful for it. Mm-hmm. And so I want to lastly ask you, where can listeners give you a follow and what's coming up next for you and your work? So I am, what am I doing? Yes, so I'm on Instagram. I'm at Mandy Saligari on Instagram and on uh, Twitter. I've also got a Facebook page for my company, Charter Harley Street, which is a clinic in London. Um, I am beginning to consider a second book. Uh, but there's some television work which will be coming out next year. But mostly I am fully invested in my clinical practice and working with people who want to change their lives. So thank you. Amazing. Thank you so much, Mandy. Thank you for the time. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Mandy. If you're interested in reading her book, Proactive Parenting, I will make sure to include all her information in the description of this episode. You can follow her on Instagram at Mandy Saligari. 
or visit her website, charterharleystreet.com. So whether or not you know someone who's dealt with addiction or you've dealt with it yourself, I really do believe that this interview touched on so much more than just the surface level of what we hear when it comes to addiction because it's so easy to just point the blame to whatever we're addicted to. So alcohol, food, um, drugs, whatever it is. So it's important that we all reflect on what we're maybe trying to avoid or the rules we feel like we had to fit growing up and even now and how that affects us, how that transcends into who we become, who we feel like we need to be and the pressure that that may come with and how that can lead to addiction or even just certain issues we've been avoiding. What do we need to work on deep down inside that is leading us to to a different substance? I also really like how Mandy brings up the importance of not being so hard on yourself, you know, because I also say positive self-talk is important and I really do believe that, but she mentions a different point, which is interesting, that we often think positive self-talk is so easy and that it's going to help us feel better all of a sudden, it's going to change our mood. So to not put that pressure on ourselves to think that we have to feel better all of a sudden or everything has to be perfect. We have to be patient with ourselves. It's rarely a straight path and it's it's a lot of ups and downs and not only with addiction, but just life in general. We think, okay, I was feeling upset the other day or I was sad this month or I was going through a hard time. Now I have to be all jolly. Now everything in my life seems perfect, so I have to feel this way. And putting that pressure on ourselves just leads to us being more disappointed in ourselves when we remember that we're human and we're going to feel how we feel. We're going to make mistakes. We're not always going to recover in the way we would like and heal in the way we would expect and that we have to just be patient with ourselves. Same way we need to speak to our child. So part of that proactive parenting is not only with the child you may have now, but with yourself, with your inner child, which is also reparenting. So what does your inner child need to hear? What does your inner child need from you to feel good, to to heal, to feel better about where they're at? We didn't all have the perfect childhood or the best family dynamic or best life growing up. Even if we had a wonderful one, like I said before, it's never perfect. And so there are things that we need to work on. I'm repeating myself in this sense, but I do believe that there are certain things we need to work on for ourselves. It's our responsibility. It's not the responsibility of the person or people who've raised us. Maybe at the time, yes, but now, now when you're older and you are old enough to decide how you move forward, it's up to you. And so how are you going to reparent yourself? How are you going to be there for yourself? How are you going to work through these emotions, these feelings, so that deep down you can feel that validation and believe in yourself and not need substances, not need something to feel connected to because maybe you feel empty inside. And you can find the help. You can be open and say, okay, I want to change. I want help. I want that support. I want to change. I have included all of Mandy's information in the description of the episode along with my info. So you can follow me at tara.mont or the Instagram for the podcast at Trust and Thrive. And my email, my website, all of that will be in the description as always. And like I said, we're continuing with, with new episodes every week. Next week's episode is going to be a little different, a little more focused on career, creativity, life choices, so much more. So there's going to be so much that goes into that. I'd love to know what you think, what episodes you've been enjoying, and please let me know. So make sure to subscribe if you haven't already to be the first ones to hear new episodes every Thrive Thursday. And if you'd like to leave a rating or a view or both on iTunes, that would mean the absolute world. It takes it takes a second to just go leave a star rating 
and to leave a review, whatever you'd like to say, that would mean the world to me. I really do appreciate your feedback. Just to let you know, I see you, I hear you, and I appreciate anyone who's emailed me, sent me feedback, or with guest suggestions, I will definitely get back to you soon. So I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and I will catch you all next Thrive Thursday.